Hey there, it's Michelle Pilpich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, Simply Intuitive. On the show, we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's a myth in the wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the health information floating around and you just want to know what to do to feel your best, you're in the right place. Not only are specific tips coming your way, but you can also count on conversations that will challenge your perspective on what health really means. So I hope you'll stick around for many episodes to come, but for now, let's get into today's show. Hello, Michelle here talking to Morgan Sinclair today. Morgan is a multi-passionate entrepreneur and has started multiple businesses. She has Morgan Sinclair Designs, where she helps clinicians develop brand and marketing strategy, designing websites, and has also developed the Weight Inclusive Business Academy, an online education platform for DIY clinicians. Morgan hosts the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast and what we're going to talk a lot about today, she leads food-focused trips around the world through the Eating Expedition and also is a conference co-chair for the Houston Eating Disorder Specialists. Morgan, you do so many things. I'm excited to chat with you. Thanks so much for having me. I am excited to be here. Yes, I I have my hand in quite a few cookie jars, but uh, it keeps life really interesting, you know? It does. It's a it's a fun way to be. That's why we work for ourselves, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. You get it. Yes. <laughs> and you are also big on the Enneagram. I am not super into that, but does Enneagram 7 play into this multi-passionate personality? 100%. Yeah. So Enneagram 7s are known to be adventurous, spontaneous, optimistic, go-getters. A lot of Enneagram 7s have multiple things happening in their life because we get really bored with the mundane and just having like one thing to focus on. Um, so like my podcast co-host as well uh, is also an Enneagram 7, also has her hand in a lot of things. It's just it's just great. It's, That's it's so fun. fun to be able to connect and uh, I think part of that is like networking, getting to know folks and just all different spheres. I I know I've heard now that you say it, that personality of a seven, I have a little bit of seven envy. I'm a three. What does that, what does that mean about me? <laughs> ah, okay. So, uh, I have a, a lot of three friends as well. So threes okay. are the achievers. So they yeah. Also tend to have a lot of things happening in their lives, um, but theirs is more focused on like wanting to accomplish and how the world sees them in their accomplishments versus a seven, which is like wanting to do a lot of things out of boredom. Oh, okay. Well, I'm exposing myself there. Yep, <laughs> that's spot on. Check out. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, there's a lot of folks in the eating disorder space that if they have their own business, they're usually threes with a two week. Um, because the two is like the helper. Um, usually a lot of clinicians are, are twos as well. So okay, I'll have to look at my wing. It's great. There's a lot of really positive things about being a three. So great. I'm gonna take your word for that. <laughs> so let's dive into more of that eating disorder space. Um, we're gonna talk about your relationship with food through travel and the eating expedition and all of that. But I want to rewind first and hear how you got into the eating disorder space and intuitive eating world to begin with. Yeah. Oh boy. So I knew nothing about eating disorders. Even going through college, getting a degree in nutrition, we had the typical story of the one hour lecture that teaches you the definitions and nothing beyond that. Yes. I had a semester gap in between graduating from undergrad with my degree in nutrition and going back to school to get my master's in business and uh, was in like a weird predicament. I needed a part-time job, but I was working for the athletic department of my university at the time and it was baseball season. So I was busy Fridays through Sundays and I needed a job Mondays through Thursday. And I was like, this, there's no way that someone's just going to hire me like randomly Monday through Thursday. And I uh, had a friend at the time who was an eating disorder dietitian in Houston, which is where I am from, where I live now. And she was sharing an office space with a medical practice that specialized in eating disorders and was like, they're looking for an office manager. I think you'd be a good fit. 
And I was like, I know nothing about eating disorders. Like no chance am I going to be like a good fit for that. But I interviewed and kind of told them my predicament about my availability. And they were like, that actually works out perfectly because we just interviewed someone who's looking just to gain experience and they can only work on Fridays. Incredible. (laughs) So meant to be. Yeah. So that was uh, spring of 2016. How many years ago was that? Seven years ago? That doesn't seem right, but I think that's right. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of what got me started in the eating disorder space. Um, Like I mentioned, I went and got my master's in business. Wasn't planning on being a dietitian towards the end of my undergrad. I was like, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. But I did all the schooling in order to do it. So I might as well go through an internship, become a dietitian. And at the time that I was looking for a job, which after my internship, I moved to Italy for a few months because I was like, I have no clue what I want to do with my life. When I came back, yeah. When I came back though, kind of everything aligned. And I had two friends that were both working as eating disorder dietitians at a higher level of care. And both of those places had part-time openings. And so I just kind of like smushed them together to make a full-time job. So again, so meant to be. I love those stories where things just all line up. It's looking back on it. It is just wild. Like I literally got back from Italy. I had coffee with the treatment center's outreach rep who I was just like friends with. I had dinner with the dietitian at residential and breakfast with the dietitian at outpatient. And by like Friday afternoon was like going to work. (laughs) Just all your consecutive networking meals and then boom, a job. (laughs) Boom, a job. Yeah. I love networking. Obviously I credit a lot of successes to my network, but um, yeah, yeah, it was, it's really, it was wild. It's interesting to me that office management got you into eating disorders because for me, it was learning about the intuitive eating framework. And I feel like a lot of people learn about that or have personal experience with it and it just changes their perspective on nutrition. So how were you thinking? Well, I guess you were thinking you didn't want to practice nutrition after college, but what was your view on how you would have possibly practiced as a dietitian before being in that space? Yeah. Um, so I had a, the friend that connected me to get that job was the first person to introduce me to intuitive eating. Um, she's still an eating disorder dietitian here in Houston. And I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was the easiest thing ever. Cause I definitely have a history of disordered eating, but she literally told me about intuitive eating. And I, it was like one of those kind of like head tilt moments. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then obviously there's been the journey of like, you know, having to constantly combat thoughts after seeing things on social media and all of that. But it was, it very thankfully was never a really hard decision to make that that's how I wanted to start like living and eating. And then um, I think we get, we get really lucky sometimes as eating disorder clinicians because we're surrounded by and building friendships with people who all have that same mindset, which I can just imagine that like that saturation of thought patterns, being surrounded by that many people that think the same way about it makes it really easy to adopt it when you're already like have your toe in the water. It does. It does. And I, I mean, the reason that I went into eating disorders was because I learned about intuitive eating when I was actually looking for graduate programs to study nutrition for the first time, because my undergrad was not in nutrition and become a dietitian. Some of the people I found who were like the OG dietitian bloggers and wrote about how they went to school. I was reading all those blogs and they also happened to be intuitive eating dietitians. Mm -hmm. And it was the same realization of once I learned it, I was like, well, of course I'm not going to practice any other way. And then eating disorder treatment is such a natural fit. So kind of the- Wait, was was one of the OG bloggers, Kylie Mitchell with I May Eat That? Does that ring a bell? So I don't know if he had blogs about um, school, the process of school, but I definitely Mm -hmm. followed her blog. Robin Noling had one and then Anne Fantastic Food was her blog. And she also went to UNC where I went to school. So I was like, this is my mission and my person. (laughs) Yeah. So Kylie is my friend who introduced me to intuitive eating. So serendipity before we even knew each other. Yes. We're connected. Shout out to Kylie. (laughs) 
That's so fun. And so would you consider yourself to some degree a lifelong intuitive eater? Yeah. So I, I honestly, I've been reflecting on this a lot. Um, I've ended up on the side of TikTok where people are talking about being raised by almond moms. Oh my gosh. Like the mom that, yeah. <laughs> and I am reflecting back on my childhood and it was nothing like that. I had access to the pantry, access to food at all times. I got to, I got an input into what was in the house. Um, my mom would like no food really had morality, at least that I like really remember up until my teens when I think it was more so like me and like reading 17 magazine and social media wasn't super popular when I was a teen, but kind of starting to be that way, reading like magazines was probably pretty much the biggest one where I started noticing and making decisions, but that was never the case in like my upbringing, which I'm so thankful for. And I still fell into diet culture and wanting to change my body and change the way I eat and the whole shebang. Same. I I had a very similar experience. Um, Yeah, I find the Almond Mom TikToks quite funny. (laughs) And I'll send you one that I made. I was cracking myself up. Um, I mean, they're funny and they're also sad, but you have to laugh a little so you don't cry, right? (laughs) But similarly, my family was very normal with food. And then, yeah, I remember those high school years just wanting the quote unquote perfect body and all of that, Mm -hmm. which never went too far. Um, But it's, it's so hard to resist those thoughts, especially as a teenager, Especially there's so much peer pressure, um, being involved in athletics with 100%. like that expectation. Um, yeah, it it sucks. And it sucks because you like kind of do it to yourself. Not that I would ever blame myself for that, but right. um, just goes to show that like even if you're raised in like a, a very supportive, body positive um, – I don't know if I use body positive. Neutral. We'll use neutral. neutral. Yeah. <laughs> we like neutral. I don't, yeah. I think growing up in the 90s, I don't I don't know of many like true positive body positive. I don't positive. think anyone was body positive. The body neutral. We'll get body neutral. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, and then having to like you learn that side of things. And then I, I think a lot of it, and it sounds like you can agree, of, of not being fully in that – makes it a little bit easier to get out. I completely Whenever agree. you start learning about intuitive eating. Right, right. Because you have that like childhood connection to kind of hold on to. Exactly. You have this history where it is like a solid foundation. Yeah. Whether and- you realized it or not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And something I like to bring up to clients when we're reflecting on, you know, what is disordered eating taking away from you? A lot of it is connection, presence with people in relationships and in travel. So talk to us. You love travel. I love travel. It's such an amazing thing. You mentioned spending time in Italy. When did you start traveling in your life? Is that something your family did or did you explore more as an adult? We did a lot of travel growing up. Uh, We did at least one vacation every year as a family. Um, And... I I wish I could say I loved traveling as a kid as much as I do now. I was like – I'm the youngest in my family. I have an older brother. I was like essentially daddy's little girl. And Aww. I was a brat when I traveled with my parents. <laughs> I, I tell them all the time. I'm like, I don't know how y'all kept taking me on vacations knowing that it was like a – like I had like a my way or the highway mentality when traveling oh, with no. <laughs> In what About what things? Just like what we did if they were like, let's go do this thing. And it's like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> it was reflecting back on it. And I, and I talk to my parents about it now and they're like, I think you're making it out to be worse than it was, Morgan. But I just remember like, like arms crossed, like just being right. like a butt the whole time where they're like, <laughs> well, we're going to do this. We already booked the tickets to go do this thing. And I would just be silent and like pouty the whole time and – Thank God they kept taking me on trips. And my mom's yeah. like, if you ever have kids one day, just know that's how you were. So you'll understand. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so we we traveled um quite a bit growing up and 
you know, I don't think I appreciate it for what it was when I was younger. I think the appreciation really came um, after I graduated high school. We did a um, – it was like my senior trip and we went to uh, Italy and England. And I think that was like – yeah. And that was my – one of my first big, bigger international trips that I like remember. I had done like one trip earlier in high school with like a EF Tours group of students. Um, what is EF Tours? It's like a it's like a travel organization that takes students. They have they like f- have teachers at middle school and high school that like takes a group of like twenty students from their school cool. abroad. Um, and so I yeah, and so I did one of those trips. But like, I worry about my memory sometimes because I just like, don't remember <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> no, I so relate to that. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I, there's, I like look at pictures from the Paris and Barcelona trip (laughs) from when I was like a junior in high school. And I'm like, I did that. What? (laughs) Anyway. So post high school, Morgan definitely remembers traveling more. And, um, I feel very fortunate that I got to do two study abroads during my undergrad and both of them were nutrition focused study abroads. So It was so cool. So it was a group of nutrition and food science students. And one summer we went to Northern Italy, which is how the eating expedition got started, which we can talk about in a bit. And the next summer was five weeks in Brazil. And we did like three weeks, like about four hours north of Rio de Janeiro, one week in Manaus along the Amazon River, and then finished in Rio. That's incredible. Also, Morgan, we are so connected. I also did two study abroad programs in college. Oh my God, what? Oh, yeah. What did you do? I did a summer program in Southern Spain in this oh. little beach town, Cadiz, which is heaven on earth. I need to go back there. It was to this day, probably the best summer of my life. Um, oh my and God. now that I'm thinking about it, I did. we were each assigned to do some sort of research project and it was totally flexible. You could present on whatever you wanted. And so mine was about food culture because that was what I was interested in foreshadowing because this was an undergrad when I thought I wanted to like work for the white house or something. So that's funny. Um, and it was so fun because we got a stipend for our research. So we had like a hundred bucks or something to spend. And since my project was on food, my roommate and I just went out to a fancy dinner and it was so fun. I was like, this is research. Oh my um, God, I love that. And then I did a semester program in Switzerland, in Geneva, and got to see a lot of Europe while I was there. Yeah. Wow. What serendipitous lives we live. Yes. Parallel experiences in so many ways. This is so cool. So how were the programs nutrition folks? Like what were you studying? What was the the food experience like while you were in those places? Yeah. So everything was focused around foods that were like local to that area, um, more so on like the farms and factories side of things and less on just like going out and fine dining everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was more of the food science piece, doing factory tours. I mean, I'm talking like in coats, hair nets on, walking through factories oh. of like bottling juice in Italy. I'm like, what's what's happening? Anyway. Um, and then the, the nutrition side was a little bit more of like the policy side. So we got to visit some food banks. We got to visit the FAO, which is the Food and Agricultural Organization of the mm-hmm. European Union. So kind of like Europe's version of the USDA. Um and get to go visit like their facility. We just did some education. We had to put together presentations on like a topic. Uh, and so like nutrition students more had like policies related to nutrition, um, programs for children, programs for elderly, what their school nutrition programs looked like, things like that. Um, yeah. And then we just got to do, I, I it's just, it was a uh, some of the most wild experiences that I don't think I ever would have gotten to experience otherwise. Um, in particular, we stayed on a boat in on the Amazon River for like oh five days. We what? like visited a local tribe. We went and harvested cassava roots, like cassava, yes. and like turned it into cassava flour, like with <laughs> a guide. That's so cool. Like these things that are so trendy and that are now portrayed as like the ticket to health and wellness, but you got to be in it with the culture, seeing like mm-hmm. where it comes from and why it's important. And that is so yeah. amazing. It was so cool. It was so cool. I just like, it was like the week of 
the most bizarre things. We like spent the night in hammocks in the rainforest. We went piranha fishing. We swam with pink river dolphins. We went caiman hunting. Just like wow. I look back on it, I'm like, what <laughs> was that life for a week? So cool. But yeah, but you're totally right. I mean, like the first time I ever had an acai bowl was in Brazil, where acai is native to, where it's grown. Yes. Uh, had no clue what it was in the States, but our right, professor, before they were cool, right? Before they were cool. But our professor that took us did research on acai at Texas A&M, which is where I went to school. And so having him guide the trip. Really was- my mom went to Texas A&M. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> this is the best. Wait, is your family from Texas or she just like ended up? My in mom Texas? is. Yeah, she's from Vermont. San Antonio. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. I love oh this. <laughs> So cool though. So he was an acai researcher. Yeah, yeah, amazing. He did like food science research for acai. It was yeah. So it was cool. So cool. So how was that with college students? Because I'm thinking of college as a time. One someone once told me. I think this was a a former client who was in college talking about how. Like you can almost feel shamed on a college campus if you're not vegan or vegetarian because so many of these dietary restrictions become trendy and, oh, they're ethical and we're saving the planet and all these different things. And this idea of dietary restrictions and travel is hard for a lot of people for a variety of reasons, Whether you know, on the spectrum from health like valid chronic conditions to disordered eating. So what was your experience and the people on your trip or just in general, like anyone you've traveled with, with um, dietary restrictions? Yeah. I'm first going to say that my college experience was very different. Uh, Texas A&M is, A&M literally stands for agriculture and mechanics. And the nutrition department was right next to like a slaughterhouse on campus. So serious. Oh, oh I would walk into class and like you would hear like sheep and I'm like, I don't, no. I don't want, nope. Mm, okay. I'm just going to think about it. Um, but then take oh, me to wow. a black pig farm and like, yeah, let me see all the parts of the pig that make prosciutto and salami and anyway. Wow. Um, so I did not have the vegan vegetarian right. <laughs> in college. Um, but I, it's tough, right? Like I went into nutrition not with the mindset of, of eating disorders and diet culture and things like that. Um, and so, and I, I don't think I realized until my like junior, senior year that that was such a normal mindset to have amongst nutrition students as well. Right. I'm very thankful that I had some positive influences in my life throughout college of people who were not dieters um, or had a healthy relationship with food. Like both of my bosses at um, yeah, in the athletic department, like had a very normal relationship with food. And so I think that that helped a lot in that mm-hmm. sense, specifically with people on the trips. I think that there tends to be a, if nutrition was more like diet culture, like food science is the exact opposite. Those are people who okay. like love, appreciate, celebrate food. And so a lot of those folks, I think just naturally had healthy relationships with food. And so it definitely impacted the trip. And it's not something that I feel like I could have named at the time, but now being friends with them or, you know, still connecting with them on social media in adult life, like they do have really positive relationships with food, at least from, from what I can see um, and just things that they've mentioned to me. It's so true about the looking at the food science side and it just (laughs) gives me an immediate image of my food science lab in grad school making butter by shaking cream in a jar and doing Mm -hmm. all these fun things Um, and also makes me think of chefs and actually when I was working in a residential treatment center for one of my nutrition groups, I literally had all the clients watch Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the Netflix special. Yes, I did that Let's watch this. We did skip over the um the the butchering of the pig. The beginning, piece. Yes, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I, that's fine. We'll skip over that piece." But right. I did the same thing. That and then the documentary. The, um, oh my god, my favorite Chef's Table episode with Christina Tosi. Ooh. So good talking about again just culture and food, and so mm-hmm. looking to the people who 
study food, create food, appreciate food gives you such a different perspective. And I even have recently gotten into making sourdough bread and Claire Mm. Saffitz has a recipe that I use and watch it. I've watched her YouTube video on making this recipe so many times because when I was first learning, I just would watch every clip of the step I was at. (laughs) And the way she talks about everything makes you not even think about carbs or calories or anything like that. You're just understanding and appreciating the process of how we get to eat such amazing things. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about the Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat docuseries with Samin mm-hmm. is like she's just – she's so neutral about the food and like yes. n- neutral language but like celebrating the culture. Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about celebrating culture through food. Kind of your food and travel experiences. I'm not even going to give you a specific question. Tell us what you want to tell us because it's such a it's such a big thing and such a cool experience and I think so important to experiencing new places. Yeah. Well, so as I mentioned, nutrition focused study abroad definitely had an impact on this and we'll kind of with that in mind and then I after my internship, my dietetic internship, I I say moved to Italy. You can stay in the Schengen region of Europe, which is like a specific number of countries for 90 days without a visa. And so I maxed out my 90 days. Um, Was hoping to stay longer, but didn't realize the visa thing. And so I was like, 90 days it is. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) And while I was there, I just got brought back to my study abroad and just continuously thought there are people that are not nutrition and food science majors that would love to do a food-focused trip somewhere. And that was kind of the start of the eating expedition of just kind of having that thought of, well, I have this experience. I will be a dietitian. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, credential-wise, I can definitely guide people on this trip. You like, sure, people will trust the dietitian to take them to a <laughs> place to learn about food. Mm-hmm. And that idea never really left me. Whenever I got back, started working in the eating disorder space as a clinician and had a lot of conversations with folks around food, travel, eating disorder recovery and traveling, similar to what you mentioned, some like managing restrictions that they were wanting to honor at the time of recovery and being nervous to travel around that. With travel, period, you have to let go of so much control in so many areas because nothing ever goes perfectly. And that's really hard. Yeah. And that is such a huge – I mean, that control piece, I talk about it with my clients all the time. That's such a huge reason why people fall into or hang on to disordered eating patterns. So have you seen that in terms of people in recovery traveling and being faced with challenges in terms of control? Yeah, so I haven't um, since college, which is like the trips that I remember the most, mm-hmm. I haven't traveled with a ton of people who have restrictions. Um, a recent or the first eating expedition trip we did was was in September. Supposed to be earlier, but you know, COVID travel restrictions, yeah. and uh, we were able to navigate Italy. Um, and someone on our trip had celiac disease, and there were there were points where it was a little tough, um, but I think overall, like, even though obviously she needed to be gluten free for a reason, but you know, gluten free has become kind of trendy, and I and because of that, I think more people with celiac disease are able to experience travel with a little bit less fear, hopefully. Um, so that's really the the most – and I don't even want to call that restriction, but like managing dietary restrictions um, that are needed like medically. But when I was working as a clinician, a lot of what I saw was um, working with folks who were in college or working with folks who were recently out of college. And it's – I can't do study abroad's because of fear of control or folks who were have already graduated college and they were like, I feel like I got stripped of a study abroad experience because mm-hmm. over the summer I had to be in treatment while I wasn't right. like, at school. And that really impacted me as someone who got to do a lot of travel, had a lot of freedom around food when traveling. And the first iteration of the eating expedition was actually going to be 
trips specifically for folks who have recovered from eating disorders as a way okay. to celebrate their recovery. And these trips are going to be led by a therapist and a dietitian just in case something came up and they were like triggered by something or just needed a little bit of extra support. And that's still true. Like folks who have recovered from eating disorders can obviously still come on these trips. Mm -hmm. I am technically a dietitian. I am still leading the trips. I can support if needed. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to expand it out even more to just like anyone who wanted to celebrate food, learn more about food culture, go off the beaten path, including folks who have recovered from eating disorders or have gotten over uh, disordered eating and are now consider themselves intuitive eaters to just get to experience something new with a group of folks that also don't have restrictive mindsets. And it's probably great to have a blended group because a lot of people I talk to, you know, I'll ask new clients in an initial session, who are your food role models? Like, do you have an example of a positive relationship with food? And a lot of people don't. It's very common not to. And so for someone who is in recovery and has disordered eating history, and maybe they are feeling even mildly triggered to see the person next to them who's a lifelong intuitive eater having the time of their life and looking at the food in a different way can be so healing and therapeutic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah. And I also, I mean, even as like a do-over study abroad, that could be such a cool thing because I've seen just from mostly people I follow on social media, I guess, talking about study abroad as a potential time where their eating disorder was at its worst because they were finally on their own, totally unsupervised in a different country can really fall into those negative behaviors. And reflecting back on that of like, wow, I was in this different country restricting myself or doing whatever unhealthy things is so sad. Not something to ever feel shame about, but sad and something that you can... I guess do a, I don't know if do over is the right word, but have an alternative experience. The experience. Yeah. 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 Be able to, to go back to a place that maybe didn't have the best memories related to food and be being able to go back to a place like that with this new mindset around food. And I, I think of like, um, which we talk about a lot of like carving new pathways in the brain Yeah, and kind of re that exposure to it again and being like, oh yeah, like this is different. Like this can be different. Absolutely. So for someone who's hyped about this, can you walk us through the eating expedition? What is it? What is the experience like? Tell us about how it went in September. Oh my God. Yes. I could talk about this for days. (laughs) The eating expedition is food focused trips and experiences around the world guided by what I call the five F's. Farms, factories, food trucks, fine dining, and firsthand experiences. Cool. <laughs> I love alliterations if you can't tell with like eating expedition. I love alliterations. It sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so I will start with this upcoming trip. So I am hosting the second trip in September, October of 2023. It'll be September 25th to October 5th, uh, 10 days span. And the goal for the trips is to, I mean, eventually I'll want to go outside of Italy, but that's the place I'm most comfortable with. I have a lot of connections there. That's where I hosted this last one. Mm -hmm. But this upcoming trip will look like we'll all meet in Italy. We'll spend three days in Parma and Modena. And so Parma is like the birthplace of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Yum. (laughs) What a great kickoff. (laughs) What a great kickoff, right? We literally get to like show up at the cheese factory and like go hang out with the cows that make the cheese. It's, Yeah. I could cry. That sounds incredible. <laughs> um, prosciutto is also from Parma. Modena, which is like right outside of Parma, is the birthplace of balsamic vinegar. So you'll see like wow. balsamic vinegar di Modena. Uh, yes, that sounds familiar now that you say yeah. that. Yeah. You'll notice it whenever you go to grocery stores. There's actually a very specific way that it has to be written for it to be like authentically from Modena. Uh, and there's like some weird wraparounds of it. So like the saying from in Italian is D-I and sometimes people will put D-E and if it has like day like in Spanish and if it has that, it's not authentic. Um, it's like so nitty gritty. Yeah. So that's uh, Parma and Modena. And then we will go to the coast of Italy for about three days to 
it's like technically Cinque Terre, but we'll be staying in the town directly north, which is actually where I stayed during my study abroad. It's the okay. surfing capital of Italy. Uh, there was like some really good waves whenever we were there last time. Did you surf? I did not surf, no. But a lot of people from Italy came to Levanto and like we wow. went to the beach and it was like just a bunch of surfers. It was really cool. And in that region, they are known for – it's like the the region of Liguria. And so they are known for pesto, white wines that grow on, like, the mountainside uh, coast mm-hmm. side of the mountain, and uh, olives. And so yeah. olive oil comes from there too. And so we got to do, like, a hike to a vineyard. Um, we did a, like, picnic on the beach. We visited a few uh, – visited a few vineyards, did a pesto making class, and then visited an olive oil production facility. Unfortunately, it wasn't like in season. And so we're not going to do that again, just because you can't see the olives. And so we're like, "Eh, okay. Um, And then the last leg of the trip will be in a region that I've actually never been to, but it's where my favorite wine is. It's we're going to be staying in a town called Bra, which is right outside of Turin in like the northwest coast of Italy. And it's Mm -hmm. the Piedmont wine region. And so what that area is known for is Nebbiolo grapes to make Barbarella wine uh, and truffles. So we'll get to go truffle hunting with a guide and his dog. And his dog stop. Yeah. That is such a dream. So how how do you have all these connections? How did you find the people to guide all of these experiences? Yep. So the the couple that actually planned our study abroad, I've stayed in contact with them since the study abroad. And so they're helping me book everything. So I basically reached out to them and I was like, listen, this is the eating expedition. I want it to be a condensed version of our study abroad. Here's my dream schedule. What do you think? Can you help me book things? Um, and yeah. And so, and they actually, uh, traveled with us for like the first leg of the trip and then they live in Levanto. And so we got to see them a lot and they're just, they're so fun. Um, Doug is from the States. Erica's from Italy. They're both fluent in English, Italian, speak a little bit of French and German in there too. And just like, and they're just like so welcoming, so kind, so fun. So they're like the best people to, to support with that. Um, that is yeah. so cool. So what was the highlight? If you had to pick a favorite experience and a favorite thing you ate last mm. year, what would you say they were? Yeah. So last year, instead of doing the Piedmont region, we actually went to Florence. So I feel like that changes things just a little bit. I'm trying to think <laughs> if there was anything in Florence. So that was my favorite. Um, I would say probably my favorite thing that we did did was in Modena. We got to go visit a vineyard because did you know that balsamic vinegar is made from grapes? I don't think I did. I didn't know it either. I don't know what I thought it was made from. (laughs) Same, same. We literally rolled up to a vineyard and I'm like, I thought we were doing balsamic vinegar today, not wine. It is made from the same grapes that they use to make wine. The only difference is that wine is aged in a closed barrel and balsamic vinegar is aged in an open barrel, which allows things to escape from the barrel to make it non-alcoholic. Wow. That's fascinating. The more you know. So (laughs) the place we went, it was uh, just like a – it was a husband and wife couple that had been running this. They got like passed down to them and they, they like wanted to pass it down to their son, but their son's going to school for finance. And they were telling us this whole story. They like made us a whole spread of um, like baked goods and yeah. just like, yeah, walked us through the whole process of, and like let us taste like a hundred year old aged balsamic vinegar. It wow. was so experience wise, hands down my favorite experience. The best thing I ate was probably the pesto that we made. Ooh. It was so good because everything comes from that region. And like, oh. yes, you can make fresh pesto at home. You can buy pesto from that region that's like canned, but like nothing beats pesto made with the ingredients from that region authentically how it's supposed to be made. So fresh. Wow. So fresh. Yeah, I bet that was incredible. It was delicious. Yeah. And then they just gave us like a bunch of focaccia bread to eat <gasps> it with. I know. Because focaccia is also from the Ligurian region. Cool. It sounds yeah. so good. Yeah. And when you think about these experiences and 
the people telling you their family stories, the food that you're looking at and eating that is from literally right around you. It's it's like, how can you be worried about the carbs in the focaccia when you're in that moment? Exactly. You, you It's very hard to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it could be just such a great way, like you were saying, to rewrite experiences, to change your mindset, change your perspective. I really do think that both perspectives on food and especially body image is all about getting outside of yourself. And when you are just hearing something and experiencing something so different from your everyday, it's going to make it a lot easier. And it might sound a little extreme, like go to Italy to recover. But honestly, why not? (laughs) There is truly something. And again, maybe this is just an Enneagram 7 thing. And I just need to like (laughs) own that myself. And it's not a universal experience. But I think there's just there's something about like you said, removing yourself from the day-to-day, the rut, the norm, and going to a place that is just so different than what you know with mm-hmm. such different cultures, such different people. I mean, you have people that I, – I remember there was one time where I um, was doing a hike whenever I was like living in Italy. And I ended up in this little beach. And it just so happened there was a group of like high schoolers that – arrived like right after me and all of a sudden they just start like taking off their shirts and pants and like running around in the beach in like bra and underwear and I was like okay first of all that would never be allowed in the U.S. (laughs) right literally kill us but just like the freedom of that of just like being able to experience that I was like man that would have been really cool to experience it's like a, a high schooler and like not give just not caring here in the world yeah yeah and it, you know you never know what people are thinking maybe people were caring but right. from the outside looking in it seemed very freeing right and you know people always say you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with like we tend to become more like what we're surrounded with and so you know i'm also thinking about just the food restrictions and choices to eat a particular way and i had some moments in college of going vegetarian or watch Mm. a documentary went vegan for a semester which honestly was fairly easy for me and it was not really disordered um but then I went home for Thanksgiving and I was like I want turkey and (laughs) studying abroad when my host mom is making us jamon and manchego sandwiches like yeah I want to eat that because that's what that's what everyone's doing that's what everyone's love it like when you are seeing people having such a great time, enjoying the things that you have labeled as bad, you start to question, well, why am I even doing that? They seem so happy. This seems great. And it it just changes your outlook. It absolutely does. I am very thankful for the five people I'm closest to having solid relationships with food yes. and being able to, you know, travel together and like split all these meals because everyone's like cool with eating everything. Oh, totally. Early trying it once. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely foods that I'm like, mm, I don't know about that, but I'll try anything yeah. once. Is there anything you won't eat? Ooh, I I never say won't. Um, I actually got to write an article for a company called Salt and Wind um, whenever I was in Italy about a fish festival they have. And like, I don't really eat fish. I'll do like crab, lobster, scallops, things like that. But for some reason, fish is just weird to me um (laughs) and uh, they had this fish festival because Camogli the town is known for tonarella fishing which is like a way that they get anchovies which anchovies are a huge thing in Italy and I literally like walked up to get my um little plate of fish and it was three whole anchovies that literally (laughs) were just like dipped in like eyes spine fins everything and I like walked it over to the beach and I'm like like looking around I'm like how first of all skeptical of anchovies second of all how the frick do I eat this what do I do yeah <laughs> literally I kid you not people were picking them up and eating them like ribs like just biting wow. into it and I'm like when in Italy guess I'll try it right yeah when I, I ate in- like one and then I've experienced this enough. You tried. Yeah, you don't have to love everything, but you tried. When I was in Spain, my host mom would make us these fried little fish, and I don't even know what they were, but similarly, like you just ate the the entire thing except for the tail. And they were actually so good. I but I also like anchovies. I like those. Yeah. I don't know. There yeah. You know. And 
it was interesting. I am, I guess, not the most adventurous. Like you, I'll try anything once. Mm-hmm. I've tried snails. Snails I don't love, but I've tried them. I'm giving I've it a tried, shot. Yep, same. I was like, not a, not a regular occurrence, but. Yeah, not my fave. Um, and there are also things that I've wanted to, when I was in high school, I didn't like sushi, but I really wanted to because I thought it was cool. So I just kept eating sushi until I liked it, <laughs> which I'm proud of. But um, I went to Croatia in September and the probably first meal that we had with our tour group, they served us octopus. And I was like, oh, I don't really eat octopus. Like, am I going to like this? And I was, I had a little bit of nerves like, oh, I don't know. And it was so amazing. And we had it all week long. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> I've I've also had a similar experience with the octopus where I'm like, you can see the like suction cups on the yes. tentacles. It's so but weird. it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And even yeah. I think a lot of my hesitations with food were just when I was little being pickier because of not knowing things yeah. or not having the experience. And as I've grown into adulthood. Calamari, you yeah. see, had the best calamari of my life in Croatia. Mm-hmm. Like, I need that every day. Yeah. So yeah, it's always worth trying new things. Always worth trying. And I I mean, I think there's, a, it makes a lot of sense to be nervous around food that you've never right. been exposed to before. Um, yeah. I, I definitely have that too. Thankfully, I think like Italian food is pretty, even though it's a little Americanized for the most part, like pasta is pasta, pizza is pizza, right? And so there's some um, familiarity there with that. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely places that I've gone to. Like, I and I haven't tried this yet. This is one thing that I that I don't know if I can get behind. Mexico City is my favorite city in the whole wide world. I love Mexico. I really want to go. I'm going in August if you want to come for a business retreat. What? Okay. (laughs) We're anyway, talk about we can that talk about this. <laughs> I'd love for you to come. Um, in Mexico, they do like cricket tacos where they fry. Cricket. Yeah, I would love to try that. <laughs> I don't know if I can get behind like the crunchiness of them. I've heard it's really good though. And there's a lot of yes. – it's like trendy now with wellness too. Cricket flour for protein bars and stuff because they're so yeah. high in protein. Yeah. Cricket actually sounds good. I would eat that. Would you? I, I like actually want really to try have it. to go to Mexico now. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming. I, I feel like it's unusual for me to be like, yes, I definitely want to try that for something that's very exotic. Um, I don't know why, though. It sounds good. The crunch. All right. I I will I will applaud you from afar. <laughs> Hold me to it if I, if I come. <laughs> cool. So um, I want to add a little more info on your trip for anyone who's like, mm-hmm. this all sounds incredible. What is included for people on the trip? What do they, are they responsible for on their own? What are some of those logistics if somebody is really thinking about signing up? Yeah. So full transparency, you can find all this information on the website, theeatingexpedition.com. But uh, the trip cost is $4,250, which comes to about $425 a day. And my favorite thing about the trip is that it's essentially what's called like a turnkey trip, meaning you just get to show up and pretty much everything is booked for you except for about one meal a day. Awesome. And then uh, there's like some free time too if you want to go do more excursions. And so things that are included, all of the lodging, all of the transportation within Italy. So plane tickets not included. I think tickets right now from the States to Italy are running about $500, $600 depending on where you live. That's mm-hmm. what it is for Houston. Um, so all lodging, all transportation within Italy, all the excursions and two meals a day. Every excursion is going to be centered around one of those five F's that I talked about. Um, and within each of the three regions we're going to, there's at least a full either morning or afternoon of free time for you to be able to go and do what you want. Cause I don't want it to be like, I don't need you to want, I don't want you to have to take like a vacation from this vacation because it's like so busy after. So I want to make sure you have free time to relax. I know like this past year, um, we had like a full afternoon and a full morning, like laying on the beach in Italy and like reading books together. It was lovely. That is just a dream. <laughs> yep, yep. And then one of my favorite things is the trip also includes a photographer that's going to be traveling with us for all 10 cool. days. One of my uh, – it was really important to me to have that for this first trip. One, for marketing purposes because I was like, I need pictures of this. But of also course. the intention behind 
getting to remain present with the food and experiences and have someone else document it for you so you don't have to be on your phone all the time. Obviously, you're welcome to take out your phone, take pictures, take videos, do all of that. But just know that you're also going to have some like really bomb photos of you like drinking wine on the side of a mountain. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so great to give people – again, the thing that – that people feel they're missing in the eating disorder is that presence and experience and people can just totally lean into that. That's such a cool perk. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have a, a really awesome photographer coming with us who's done – her name's Taylor Princeton. She's done extensive extensive travel and um, a super body positive and yeah, just great. really great fit. I love to hear all of that and I will certainly link the website and everything so that people can find all that information. Incredible. Is there anything else you wanted to share that we didn't talk about? I feel like we covered a lot and this was so We covered a lot. (laughs) No, I think that's good. Um, I, I, if you're interested in coming on the eating expedition, um, the eatingexpedition.com is the website. You're welcome to head there and and learn more about the Northern Italy 2023 trip. If you're questioning whether it's going to be a good fit for you or anything about the trip makes you nervous, you want some questions answered, uh, there's a way to set up a quick 15-minute discovery call with me. I will say this last trip, out of the nine of us that were there, it was the first time traveling abroad for five of them. Wow. Which is super exciting. So even if you've never traveled abroad before, I would honestly say like this is one of the best ways to go because everything is essentially already planned for you. You just could like go up and ex- go and experience the magic of Italy with some of your new like travel besties. A no-brainer. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for all of this. Um, And if people are interested in your other businesses, I will link your Instagram. Is there anywhere else that you want people to find you? Instagram's great. I love Instagram. Uh, Everything that you need to know about me is in my bio. So you'll be able to find the other other things from that. (laughs) Perfect. All of the many, many hats you're wearing. (laughs) Well, Morgan, thank you so, so much for chatting. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Before we wrap up, I wanted you to know that I'm accepting new one-on-one clients into my nutrition practice. So if you are ready to stop obsessing over food, feel confident in your nutrition choices, and feel confident in your body, please reach out. I will leave the link for a discovery call in the show notes. You can book a call there and we'll be able to chat and answer all of your questions, see if this feels like a fit, and then you'll be able to book a session. So that free 15-minute call is available to you at the link in the show notes. Check it out. And there you have it. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. If you did, I would love to hear what's resonating for you. Send me a DM on Instagram or share the episode to your stories and tag me so that I can see that you're listening and hopefully loving it. You can also share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy it and spread some intuitive eating love to everyone around you. As always, five-star ratings and reviews are so appreciated, so you can drop me one of those. Be sure to also check out the show notes for all the links that I mentioned and more information on myself and my nutrition private practice. Other than all that, I hope you have a great day and a great week, and I will catch you in the next episode.